You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking with a good buddy of mine and someone who's been on not only the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, but the Hunting Gear Podcast, Josh Raley. Uh, Josh hunts in Wisconsin quite a bit, and he, but he lives in Georgia, and he also hunts down in Georgia. And so some of this con, uh, conversation that we're going to have today is a BS session about some of the products that really stood out for us uh, this past rut, uh, during our rut vacation, and also products that Josh uses deep in the south where it's pretty much hot all year round, and all the way up into the north, Wisconsin, uh, you know, up in Wisconsin where it, you know, the, you know, the temp, if you're a Midwesterner, temperatures can be hot, and they also can be extremely cold. And so we have a conversation about products that could work good in both of those scenarios. And so we're just going to call this a, a, B, a BS session. And uh, it's a really good conversation. I mean, we talk about, uh, what do we talk about? We talk about saddles and tree stands. We talk about climbers. We talk about boots. We talk about clothing a lot in this episode, uh, bows uh, and the settings and, and uh, accessories that go on our, our bow as well. And it's a really, uh, really good, really fun and interesting conversation that we have. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, I do have to do a commercial real quick, but I, I want everybody to listen to it. I don't want you to skip this because, man, <laughs> like, I have never in my life used uh, pre-orbital scent on a uh, mock scrape uh, or, I guess, a lick, mock licking branch type of scenario. And I'll tell you right now, the trail camera that I put in front of this Rope-A-Dope system from Code Blue, absolutely, I, it got every picture on of every deer, I'm guessing, on the farm. It wasn't just bucks that were hitting it, but it was deer of all ages and all sexes that, uh, that were hitting this and smelling it. it they were curious about it. Um, you know, some of the bucks actually laid a scrape right in front of it. Some of them rubbed their eyes and antlers on it. Um, and it's, I, it's one thing that I'm going to continue to use every single year. Now I'm going to put the mocks, the mock scrape right in front of all of my tree stands. And I'm going to put a trail camera right in front of that mock scrape, scrape, not necessarily cell cams, but 
trail cameras to just gather information about what deer are using these scrapes and so uh, i'm really looking forward to continuing to learn how to make the best mock scrapes and using the sense from code blue to do that so um, if you want to find out more about all of the scents and scent elimination products that code blue offers please go out please go to codebluesense.com and i do have a discount code 20 percent off perfect for black friday nfc20 and that's going to save you 20 percent off of all of your uh, code blue scent purchases and they have they have real urine they have synthetic urine uh so go uh, take a look at their products man it's uh, i had a I had a conversation with someone who worked there on a, on the hunting gear podcast oh, several months ago about their collection and their quality control. And you'll hear them talk about the importance of quality control. And just like all products, whether that's tree stands or whether that's scents and how, and how you collect these scents or how you make these scents, it's very important to have a good quality control. Uh, in in your manufacturing process or however whatever you want to call the collection process of some of these urines or the creation of some of these these scents and things like that so quality is very important for them uh codebluescents.com all right um other than that lots of black friday sales are gonna hit the mark you know hit the they're they're already started right so i know that huntworth has a really big 30 percent off uh product sale coming up and so it's important that uh, you guys take advantage of some of these big discounts from brands, high and low accessories. I'm, I, I've, I haven't seen bow manufacturers do it yet, but, you know, like clothing manufacturers, accessory, there's, there's discounts for every product you need, boots and things like that. So keep an eye out for that. Other than that, that's all I wanted to say uh, on this episode uh, if you are interested in coming on and want to come on the Hunting Gear podcast and you want to talk about the products that you use, how you use them, how they perform, um, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, you know, because I like to talk, I like to talk about the positives of, of the hunting gear and equipment that we all use. But it is also important, in my opinion, to talk about the negatives of some of these products that we all use every single year like hey man a lot of people buy this i didn't like it and here's why not just to bash the company but to you got to educate people on both the good and bad of all things so if you have maybe like a good bad and ugly product list that you want to uh, share on the podcast man hit me up on the nine finger chronicles instagram page and we'll set it up man so uh all right good vibes thank you guys for tuning in if you want to go to itunes or uh, apple podcasts or wherever you download your podcast give this uh, podcast a five-star review let everybody know how awesome and educational it is and uh just let them know it's a badass podcast thank you very much and uh let's get into today into today's episode three two one Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today I'm joined by what would your what would your role be in the Sportsman's Empire? Like you don't have you don't have a title, but we should give you one right now. What's your title? Oh my goodness. I can't remember. Uh, John Hudspeth from Oklahoma called me your court jester. <laughs> uh, so I think I think that probably is a pretty good one, the court jester. The court um, jester. 
of the sportsman's empire. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Hey, yeah. there it is. You need to put that on a business card. <laughs> the official court jester for the emperor. Yep. There, uh, there you go. Yeah. There yeah. You, you better be funny. Cause if not, I'll chop your head off. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> a, yeah, big, big shoes to fill. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, man, you just got back from a pretty long rut hunt back in Wisconsin. What was that like? Yeah, dude, it was, uh, it's, it's been a weird year at this spot in Wisconsin, man. I'll be honest with you. It, um, we didn't have the size of deer that we've had in the past on this property. We didn't have the numbers of big deer, um, that we've had in the past on this property. I'm actually, I've actually been texting with guys this morning who are still there. Uh, you know, they live in the area, they're hunting that spot. They've got cameras out still, and it has been dead. So the hunt itself was for the most part a grind, but there were these flurries of beautiful activity, especially mm-hmm. in the first four days that are everything you could want out of a public land rut hunt. Yeah. But for the rest of it, it was just kind of, you know, ho-hum, dreary, and, um, man, just a lot of hard work. Yeah. yeah. You, and you were talking to me, uh, you know, I don't want to be the guy who brings up something negative, but you sent me like a text message or some kind of picture of you missing did you miss a deer did you hit one and not find it right yeah, like, so right I, away i it was day four okay. um so real quick um you know happened real quick actually day one uh i drew back on a deer all i could see was him in the brush all i could see was a fork i draw back settle in on vitals let down i think you know small deer he gets out of the way and he's probably you know pushing 150 Ooh. i mean giant um, but I thought it was a forky because mm-hmm. I saw the fork. Well, that was just a big fork G2. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Out, yeah, it was awful. So I, I snapped a picture of his frame as he ran away and looked back at me, um, you know, once I tried to grind at him to get him to come back and stuff. But uh, that was a giant. And then I ended up on the fourth day, like, barely shaving hair off of the back of uh, another really good deer, probably a 130 class. Yeah um deer with the drop nine you know so it's just it made it even worse (laughs) yeah what was the pressure like on the property that you were hunting it was there was there was a lot of pressure there were a lot of people but the people that were there were not going deep and the people that were there a a lot of them were pheasant hunters okay Uh, those who were bow hunting uh, we're not going super deep, you know, quarter mile, half mile, and you're, you're beyond them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not having to work super hard. Um, I will say though, there was some poaching pressure while we were there. Oh shit. So we actually ended up calling a game warden and got some guys busted for shooting like a 130 class eight with a rifle. Um, were you in like, the, were, were you in the tree when it all went down? Dude, I was on the ground on the edge of the marsh Yeah. when this all went down and they shot a rifle you know, across the marsh from me. Yeah. Uh, so it, it got, it got hairy real quick, but, uh, luckily game warden came out, sheriffs came out, guys tried to run, drop their bags. They ended up getting busted, confiscated a bunch of guns from them. Uh, it, it was a wild, a wild encounter. I dude, I'll tell you this. There's some guys out there who hear that story and they'll be like, Oh man, he ratted those people out. Dude, if that's the case, call me a rat because I've I've turned in poachers before that have gotten busted, uh, and it, the the reason was me, and I will continue to do that until the day right. that I die because right. I, dude, that's I absolutely hate poachers. Period. 
period. Right. And they took opportunities. I mean, the guy, there were three guys with rifles, right? They came out. They were wearing blaze orange. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing so that they wouldn't shoot each other. But when they shot that buck that they did and hacked it up, I mean, they weren't in there for very long and they shot a buck. I'm sure they jump shot him in the marsh. When they shot that buck, they robbed not only the natural resource, mm-hmm. but they robbed all of us bow hunters who were out there mm-hmm. giving it our best go during the rut. They robbed us of that buck potentially coming past us. They robbed us of that area not being pressured by gun pressure yet at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, like their infraction was gigantic. So I will always, yep. always report people for something like that. Yeah. Now, if somebody makes a mistake that I see, I'm just going to be like, hey, don't do that. That's stupid. Yeah. But if there's a serious infraction, I'm going to report it every time. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks, man. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, were you like after that happened? Did were you able to recover and have more encounters, or or did the rut just not hit like it usually does? Yeah. So, in fact, that evening, I'm sitting there texting with the game warden, and I'm sitting on the edge of this big marsh. And I put on my story, like, if the buck comes through again tonight like he did last night, this was day two. Yep, I if saw he that. did last night, he'll be right here at five yards. And not him, but another buck came in and stood at five yards. And I almost shot him from the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, I wish I, I would have. He was a little bit smaller deer. But so I had another buck that night. But after I'm after the, the shaving of the hair off the back of that deer on day four, that's when things kind of took a turn for the worst as far as just – very fizzly movement. I mean, there was there was still good movement. I was still on deer every day, but it was just small bucks and does. Yeah, man, it was crazy. I'm not joking. I, I it went from twenty deer a night, thirty deer a night. One, I, I think one night I saw forty deer all pile out of this, and then they disperse. They all bed in this one area, and then they disperse to all these different food sources. The next night, three deer, two or three deer. And then that was the rest of the, that was the rest of the rut. And, and so basically I put myself in a pinch point and the buck that I eventually shot was a bonus buck I'd never seen before. And I was just like, got kind of got lucky. I was, I mean, I was in the right, right place with the right wind and all that stuff, but I'd never seen this deer before. And and, and luckily he came through. Wow. What do you think? What do you think through the brakes on it, man? Cause I'm talking with folks. Some guys are like, man, I didn't even see good rutting activity period this year. Yeah. Other guys are like, Hey, that last week of October, first week of November was on fire. Yeah. It's been dead ever since. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I'm thinking the, the temperature may have something to do with it. I'm thinking a lot of it probably does have, has to do with population The the, quantity of deer in an area because if there's no there's no reason for a buck to run the countryside looking for does when he's got enough does within like a 20 acre piece right there's no need for him to to go you know a wall he can just stay right where he's at and breed these does and so what that does is the mature bucks kind of just stay put and then the young bucks who aren't getting the opportunities are the ones who are cruising. Hence why people see more young bucks this time of year. Right. So right. that's just a theory. That's just yeah. a theory. That makes sense, man. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to talk about hunting gear and equipment. And we, we just came, we just came out of the rut. Okay. And so I want to talk to you first about some 
products that you used during the rut that you were just like, thank you. I'm thankful I had this product because it made what I did easier. Yeah, man. I think um, one of the first products that that really was kind of those aha moment products or dare I call it a game changer uh, was my new camera arm. Okay. So I've been using the old school muddy camera arm for a long time. Um, they're big, they're bulky, they're heavy, whatever, but they're stable, right? Like if you've got a big, nice video camera, that's what you want to have. I threw on or picked up a lone wolf custom gear video arm or camera arm this year. And I went from a four and a half to five pound setup to a one and a half pound setup mm-hmm. camera arm. Uh, ease of use was there, man. It just, it wasn't bulky like the other. It packs down real nice and goes in my backpack. So that was a pretty big, uh, that was a pretty big game changer for me. Um, this rut. Okay. And just, just because it was lighter and easier to use. Yeah. Lighter, easier to use. Um, man, that ease of use piece was just huge, you know, just time getting set up. I mean, I was spending a lot of time in the tree, but I would oftentimes, you know, get down and make a move by, you know, 50 yards, 60 yards, something like that. And um, usually when I'm carrying camera gear, if I'm carrying camera gear, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to stay here because yeah. I don't feel like packing all of this up, you know, then getting over there and setting it all back up again. But with this one, it, it really did kind of take it to a new level of usability and, and lightweight. So I was still able to, you know, go as far as I wanted. I, I didn't feel like I was carrying dead weight around. Right uh, Now, granted, after day four, uh, I did stop carrying it. I started doing some crazy stuff, started crossing water, uh, started getting down into the marsh, that kind of thing. And so I was kind of staying out of the the camera game for the most part because I was yeah. pretty sure I was going to dump all my gear in the water at some point. Yeah, yeah. You play that camera game, and all you're doing is just adding weight. That's all. I don't care how lightweight it is. You're just adding weight. You're exactly right, man. You're adding weight, and you're adding difficulty, mm-hmm. and you're adding headache. Yep. You really are. Yeah, this may be my last year playing the big camera game. I mean, I'll still take, you know, I'll still take my Tacticams because they're, you know, they just yeah. fit in your backpack or attached to your bow and you don't even think about them anymore. Um, but as far as a big camera goes, this might be my last year self-filming. Now, if I've got a guy that wants to tag along or whatever or got a buddy that's tagged out, then, yeah, you know, filming I think could be really fun. But I think I'm kind of done with the big camera on the self-filming piece. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to throw one out there. And so last year I dabbled in saddle hunting this year. I went in on saddle hunting. And so I, I, the second I didn't have to bring a tree stand on a mobile running gun, I instantly felt more efficient in the, you know, in like using a saddle, like, Man, you put a platform up compared to a tree stand, you're saving like a minute, maybe. And so I can get four sticks, depending on the, all the branches I need to trim out of the way. I can get four sticks up, I can get my platform up, and I can just climb up and hook in. And I, I and and then, you know, I, the the tethered uh, system has, depending on what saddle you have. If you have the lockdown, you have these big pockets already built in or the, the Phantom XL, which I have, and I find the most comfortable. There's these little, uh, pockets, uh, uh, toggle pockets that you can pull tight and open up. And that's where I would keep in like my screw and steps and things like that. Right. I found myself using that, the, the saddle 
even when I was going to a tree stand. Let's, oh, yeah. You know, because I had some preset, I, I had some preset tree stands already there, and I found myself liking this hybrid saddle tree stand system the most, where if I got bored sitting down, I can just hang off my tree stand, right? Right. And and I was wearing that as my safety harness uh, for every hunt. Now it's lighter. It's it's not as bulky. It's it's just it's just a, basically a a pair of shorts with a buckle on it that you that you have to wear, and so I found that really comfortable, really easy to use, and less just less bulk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. And so I really like that method. Uh, I, you know, I shot my buck this year while hanging off of a tree stand in a saddle. And so... Nice. It's like this, and I really like the the way that the tethered guys explain it is like, hey, man, we don't care if you're only a saddle hunter. We don't care. We want you to use this as a tool to make your hunting more efficient and things like that. And so it's pretty cool that, you know, I can I can dabble in the platforms and then I can also dabble in the in the tree stands, but I'm always in my in my saddle. And so I really, I really liked it. I really liked that from a comfort yeah. standpoint. Yeah, man. If, if you're in, if you're in some of those old school safety harnesses, you're talking the same weight yeah. or more than, than a saddle mm-hmm. and a saddle, gives you so many more options. What I'm curious, what sticks you're using, man. Cause I, I, I'm at the point now by the end of my trip, I was like, I swear to all things, holy by the end uh, or by next rutcation, I will not be using these same climbing sticks. What what like, what climbing sticks did you use? So, so I've got the Lone Wolf, like the old school Lone Wolf climbing sticks from way back in the and day. And you don't like those? No, 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 no. Listen, 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 okay. listen. They're, they were getting heavy. I mean, I'm talking, I'm walking two miles. I'm trudging through, you know, chest deep marsh grass kind of stuff. It wasn't the weight of them. It was the length of them mm. that was starting to get to me. That makes they're sense. Either, and I'm five foot seven, so they're either hanging down too far, they're sticking up too high, or they're too wide if I try to run them sideways. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the length of them. So you need so to need get to, taller. I yeah, I need to grow <laughs> like five inches, six inches, and then I'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean the sticks are super simple. Yeah. Like the, they're they're bulletproof when you're hanging them, mm-hmm. when you're using them, all that's great. But just the length of them. So I'm either going to have to cut them down. Or potentially just go to a, 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 obviously more expensive, but but shorter and lighter option. Yeah. So, you need to talk with Byron Horton uh, of Whitetail Experience, and he runs like this one stick method. I'm not sure what climbing stick he actually uses. It, is it could be the old, uh, it could be the the old Lone Wolf, sort of like the XOP or something like that. But he has a one-stick method with that he runs with like a three-step. I think it's a three-step aider, and that right. way you're only carrying in one or maybe two climbing sticks. 
right to get yep. to the same height as four and it cuts back on the weight but your issue is not necessarily the weight but the length uh it of, is yeah yeah and you know what i did so not last year but the season before so 2021 i guess uh i committed to one sticking for the whole season okay and i that entire season um Again, there's probably a lot that I could have improved on to make that a more efficient system for me, but I'm not a gear tinkerer. So at the end of the day, I'm not the guy that's going to spend two hours out in his backyard, like dialing it in perfect. Right. I'm going to figure it out while I'm hunting. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. And so at the end of the season, I kind of had it figured out, but it was like, boy, that's a lot of extra work. It feels like to, to get the one sticking thing. But, but now after going back to, you know, the full three sticks that are full length, I'm kind of like, eh. Maybe I will go back to the one stick because I've, I've still got it laying around. I've got all my repelling gear where I can just repel out of the tree. Um, so I may go back to that method. We'll see. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, any other products that kind of stood out for you uh, this rut when you were stomping public? Man, you know what? I think there's, there's two pieces of clothing that stood out for me. Um, one was my rain gear this mm -hmm. year. So I sat in the rain uh, one of the days it rained all day long and I sat uh, on this little island in the marsh just in the rain and cold all day long and stayed reasonably comfortable. Now, you know, it was humid outside, so it was easy to get cold and that kind of thing. But uh, this was the the Winstead from Huntworth, mm -hmm. which was really, really good. And then I discovered, too, that I'm an idiot. I did not know. <laughs> that sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I found out that I am a moron. I did not know. So I've got the Saskatoon jacket from Huntworth too. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they've got this like muff style pocket up here on the chest. And so for the first two days, my hands are freezing. You know, I've been wearing this thing for two years now. I wore it yep. last year. But then I'm I'm fiddling with something. I realized like one of my hands kind of goes into a pocket that I didn't know existed. And then I felt around and it's there on the other side too. And it's the warmest place that my hands have ever been. Oh, man. And it was a like I didn't wear gloves the rest of the trip. Yeah, I totally abandoned the gloves, which I I hate wearing gloves. So I do too. anyway, man, that was that for me like made the hunt so much more comfortable. Um, you know, being able to hunt in the rain that's great. Obviously, during the rut, you just want to be out there. But finding those little pockets, man, I can't believe I've had that. I hunted with that jacket last fall. I hunted with it all turkey season, and now I've hunted with it this fall. And it took me until just now to discover those pockets, man. <laughs> you wish you would have known. Wish you would have uh, known. Dude, I'll, I'll say this, man. Dude, yeah, I work, I work with them. So take whatever I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But Huntworth and their quality of the products that they make, the, the apparel that they make, dude, it is, they are legit at, at that price point. They are legit, oh. man. I, I was glad when you asked me if I if I wanted to come on this show because I know Dan Johnson has had a lot of gear over the years, mm -hmm. right? You've had stuff from all the big brands. All, out the, there. all of them. All yep. of them. The top-end brands, mm -hmm. right? I have always been a guy, until I started picking up some Huntworth gear, I've always been like the thrift store guy. Yep. Like I go in there, I grab the camo that I need on like the St. Vinny's, you know, hunting deal days or whatever it is they do at the beginning of the season where they sell off all their camo. Yep. I was always curious, how does this stack up quality, comfort, and warmth-wise to, you know, to a Sitka, to a First Light? Like, where does Huntworth fall? Because I know price-wise, 
they're nowhere near the price. Yeah. Uh, some of that other stuff. Yeah. So here's what I'll say about the elite brands, right? For, for a, a doll sheep in Alaska, 10 days in, you know, um, just crazy amount of weather swings, snow, rain, uh, you know, just you need it to survive, let's say, right? There are individual specific garments that the, that the elite brands make that will take care of you in their in those scenarios, right? And and so, but also Huntworth in some of those scenarios can take care of you as well. And what I've found, you know, and on the Hunting Gear podcast, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of camo brands or other maybe direct-to-consumer companies or, you know, smaller, newer uh, camo companies that come out and then they give their spiel about their product line and things like that. And what I'll say is that Huntworth so far of all of the, you know, People send me stuff all the time and I get to try it out and I get to look at it and see how well it's built. And then there's some years where I wear it and things like that. Huntworth has the most complete layering system of all of those companies, of those, com- of those companies. Obviously, the, the elite brands have that too, but I would put, I would put Huntworth at the top of like maybe just a hair under the elite brands and and only from a quality standpoint but i would say that they're like 90 percent of the quality of the elite brands and then obviously the price is just ridiculously less than you know like i i saw i I got a a catalog from one of the elite brands in, in the mail and i saw a jacket for six one jacket for 660 bucks (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh wow yeah. wow yeah. and and so man and i've i've used it uh huntworth their base yeah huntworth their base layers are legit very comfortable um i wore those uh every hunt and i wore them whether it's 80 degrees out, out like i was out west a couple days or when it you know cold front came through and it's you know, 25 degrees for the entire day. And so the the base layers to me are the most important. Usually I like to wear Merino, but so I tried their synthetics out and man, they're legit. All like all, all their products, very, very well put together. And I don't want to make this all about uh, right, right. Uh, Huntworth, but dude, a very, yeah, very impressed. Yeah, I was just curious your experience because I know you've had you've had like hands on, yeah. and you know it's easy for me to be impressed when I'm coming from like the thrift store camo. Yeah, yeah, but that come that kind of comes down to it. Like thrift store camo got you by for several oh, years, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. For for until I was thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> and and don't get me wrong, and, and you grew up hunting in the South, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and so there's a completely different. A construct of gear that you need when you know you're hunting in South Georgia uh, in November and the high is going to be 50 or something like that, right? Oh, 70. 70. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, even on a cold day in South Georgia, right? right. Maybe, maybe the coldest it gets is, is 50 or, you know, right. whatever, whatever that may be. Meanwhile, 
I'm dealing with, you know, teens and 20s in, here in Iowa. And so that, like being from the South, and I'm sure there's different things that, like, I haven't hunted a ton in the South, but when you're not dealing, you might be dealing with a little extra wetness down South. You might be dealing with a little extra uh, humidity down South, and, and there's certain garments that play a role, but straight up temperature has so like there's like you can get away with way less than than a midwesterner or northerner when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply yeah yeah for sure man and it's you know one thing that we have to be sure and you you do in the midwest too but if you don't manage your sweat down here in the south you are in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because it's so humid outside if you start to get wet you will not dry exactly because it can be 50 degrees today you know but you're still going to have 75 to 85 percent humidity mm-hmm. you know i mean it's still going to be really humid out and so um, you can get real cold real fast when it's 45 and, and humid mm-hmm. and you got sweaty on the way in. Yeah. Like that can send you back to the truck in a hurry. And I know that sounds, that sounds ridiculous, but I've talked with other camo brands who, who do focus on folks in the Midwest and they're just like, yeah, we have unique challenges when we're trying to think about stuff for the South because, um, you know, humidity can be such a, yeah. such a deal breaker when it comes to temps. I always feel that when a company is making their products, especially clothing, they're just like everybody thinks of the Midwestern Pennsylvania, you know, the the what the Ohio River Valley, Tennessee, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, all the way down into Missouri and Iowa, you know, the Minnesota, Wisconsin, like that's who they think is, but there's an entire demographic of the Southeast, you know, all the way up to like the East Coasters that where you're, you know, you're along the Atlantic, you're still kind of North, but it still doesn't get that crazy cold. Right. Like, like right. in the Carolinas. And yep. so, and so I'm just like, I feel like those people just don't get thought of enough as far as gear and clothing are concerned. Yeah, I think I mean it, it's been underrepresented in the in the hunting space for just yeah. a long time period, you know, yeah. and I that's starting to change. I mean, I think we've seen that over the mm-hmm. last five years, but but yeah, man, I mean we're we're starting to see like there's a camo brand that popped up in Florida yeah. because they were like, You guys don't make stuff for us, so we'll start making stuff with, you know, palmetto branches on it mm-hmm. as our camo brand. Yeah. And, uh, so it's it's neat seeing the the new innovation for folks who do hunt in yeah. very trains yeah and i don't want to take anything away from like the real trees and the mossy oaks uh, of the sure. world but they're a camel pattern right and then they make like other people mostly lease or what, what's that called license their their yeah. products for their for their company yeah i'm sure they make like real tree probably or mossy oak probably has a, its own line of clothing but it, i don't maybe I'm hundred percent wrong, but I don't think it's anything like the Huntworths or the elite brands that are out there. 
No, I don't think so. They actually used to have retail stores down here. Uh, so like, they had some Mossy like Oak. Mossy Oak retail stores? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I used to have those when I was a kid. We used to go to one, but it was the same. I mean, it's the same Mossy Oak stuff that you're going to get on the shelf at Walmart. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. It wasn't anything on, you know, some of the, the higher-end brands. Yeah. Well, this has been a really good segue into ultimately what I – oh, I got I to gotta say one more thing. Um, all right, two products. I don't want to get too crazy into them, but man, my e-bike. Oh, Dan Johnson. Dude. You, you can't do it again to me with the e-bike, man. Dude, my e-bike. <sighs> like I said, the property that I was spent most of my rut in, southeast corner. I, I, I can access this farm through one and only one gate. That's it. And every time I would walk through of it, I would, the opposite hillside, I would watch does stand up out of their beds and run away. That's at, that's at 200 yards. Every time, boop, gone. I ride a bike in, nothing, nothing moves. They just kind of look at me. I had a, at one point I had a, I was coming out at night. I had my headlamp on. I was riding the bike. There was a doe and a buck probably 30 feet away from me that did not move. They just, and I was looking, I was like, are you kidding me? I I think the impact of this thing is awesome, right? I just like, it it turns you into a ghost in in a way. And you just don't, they don't, they don't find it a threat. Okay, so there's that one. The second one. Man, and these guys are not a partner in any way, shape, or form, but Nose Jammer, man, I've never had a negative thing happen when using Nose Jammer. Maybe the only thing uh, negative is that a doe was coming through the terrain. She smelled the uh, the my access route, which was this vanilla spray, and she got too close to me. She she got curious and followed that scent close to me. And there's been times where maybe they get downwind a little bit. And they spook, but it's nothing crazy. This buck that I shot this year was coming through this pinch point, reading the script. He got behind a, a, a tree, put his nose to the ground, and he smelled my my uh and i'm very liberal with it like i'm drenching myself with this uh below the knees my boots everything and so if he would have continued to walk forward i would have had like a 35 yard quartering away shot on this buck okay no big deal i would have i would have taken it but this buck followed it closer to me i would say i would say anywhere between five to ten yards and then he turned broadside to work his way back. Like he he lost interest in the smell of it because he knew like it was like doze, 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 doze. What's this? Hmm, what's this? Okay, whatever. Doze, doze, doze. You know what I mean? And and, and right. so he got 10 yards closer to the, to me, and then he started uh, angling uphill, and I, I had him broadside at 25. And Gee. so that product brought that deer in 10 more yards for me. Because he was just kind of sniffing. And so, I don't know. T- say what you want about it. But, man, 
covering up your access route to get in there. Right. I don't know. I, okay. So I get to hear a lot of people call BS on a lot of products Mm -hmm. in this space. I have never heard anyone call BS who has tried nose jam. I don't know of anyone that's tried it and who said, I won't use it anymore. It doesn't work. Yeah. Now I have not personally used it, but man, I, I need, I need to give it a try. Yeah. And the, the, the way that they promoted or the, the science behind it, imagine you're outside, right? And you walk into a house of a smoker and you yourself don't smoke. You walk into that house and the first thing that hits your nose, you don't smell the pancakes on the stove. You don't smell the you know the the scented candle you'd smell a, just a hammer to your face of cigarette smoke right and that's what this vanilla smell does in the woods where they're just like da 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 smell good you know i smell some trees smell some you know possums blah 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 whoa what is that like it just hits them and it's like overwhelming it that's the only thing that they smell and so the, the theory is, and, and do this the next time you walk into a restaurant, how long it takes for you, your brain to balance out the scent again so you're not just smelling the pizza or you're not just smelling, right. you're, you're able to break down all the smells that you smell and, and you're not smelling just cigarette smoke. You're, you are, now you're starting to smell the pancakes and now you're starting to smell the scented candle and things like that. So it, the science behind it is pretty actually, actually pretty intelligent. Yeah. So there, it's just trying to overwhelm them. Oh it, yeah. It overwhelms them for a period of time. And that period of time is how long it takes their brain to adjust their scent levels to not make that scent so strong. It, right. It's like balancing it out. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to have to try it. Yep. Do it. I, I recommend. I recommend and, it. And of course, the e bike, you had to throw that back out there. Yeah. I still don't have one. So, Wait, what would happen if, if your wife, if with your wife, if you showed up with a $6,000 e bike, you, you went out and bought it today? Would she get pit? <laughs> would she get pissed at you? Oh, dude. I, <laughs> It'd be over. <laughs> yeah. It would not be good. It would be returned. And even if I didn't want to, she would make it be returned. Now, what if that $6,000 e-bike came with like a nice pair of earrings or a trip to somewhere warm and, and tropical? Would would she have a problem with it then? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I paid for a trip to Banff next summer. It's like, we've already bought a, a nice trip. Does not matter. Don't, don't matter. I, I could have bought a, an e-bike at the same exact time. Um, my wife is very frugal. Okay. Very frugal. Okay. So that, man. That's a whole nother podcast right there. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. <laughs> How to negotiate. Okay. Um, hunt, hunting in the south, hunting in the north extremes, right? We have two extremes. And so I want to talk a little bit about products that, you can use in both of those scenarios. And, and I, I want to use South Georgia and I want to use Wisconsin at, because those are the two places that are fresh on your mind. You live in Georgia, you hunt in Wisconsin. Okay. Right. I want to talk right. about those two specifically. First, first question to you is, are there products that you use 
that you can use in both of those cold temp, hot temp scenarios. Yeah, I think, you know, even if you just start from a from a clothing perspective, you know, pretty much a lot of the stuff that I'm thinking about for early season, like up in Wisconsin, like my early season gear in Wisconsin is going to get me into December, mm-hmm. um, you know, hunting down here in the south. So there's a, a lot of carryover there. Um, luckily, camo brands are getting good enough at this point that, you know, patterns and that kind of stuff are are good enough generally across the board to survive you know, whether it be a Wisconsin October or a early December in the South. So that's, that's still working out for me. Um, you know, and then all the way down to, um, you know, my bow, that kind of thing there, but there are differences in the way that I use some of the gear, you know, so for instance, my bow, my arrows, none of that changes North to South, but how I've got that set up changes dramatically when I'm hunting north to south. So my bow, when I'm up in Wisconsin, is going to be cranked down to about 62 pounds. Uh, when I'm down here in the south and I'm hunting early season, I'm going to have it cranked all the way up to 70. Explain, why, explain I, why, why, why the difference. I don't see, like for me, I wouldn't assume you would need to do that. It has everything to do with my bulk, everything to do with what I can, what I can draw back on, right? Like restriction and movement. Oh, okay. So down here in the south, I'm wearing light clothes. Like this would this, what I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing a hoodie right now. This would be almost too much to walk into the woods with today. You'd have to walk in with a t-shirt, maybe a long sleeve t-shirt, and then throw a hoodie on over that. I can th- draw back 70 pounds, not a question, right? A 19 degree November morning in Wisconsin with frost on the ground. I'm going to have a hard time getting that 70 pounds pulled back when I've got on a base layer and then a shirt layer, and then an insulating layer, and then maybe one or two layers on top of that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yep. just a it's just a bulk perspective. Yeah. I'm not so much worried about not being able to draw in the cold as I am about not being able to draw with that much more clothing on. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand. Yeah, there's, so there's a tweak there. Um, you know, when it – I mean, obviously um, – there are a lot of products as well that I do use a ton uh, up north that I don't use as much in the south. But, yeah. uh, you know, clothing is the big thing that kind of stands out of like it just it it spans the test of both. Um, you know, and we're going to be wearing it both places. I'm just going to be wearing my early season gear. Gotcha. Down. Gotcha. So there, it's it's basically it's the same clothes. It's just how much of it you actually have to wear down south. Yeah, right on. Okay. And I'm and I've. I'm going to make sure to have multiple sets yeah. too. So like up North, I may have, you know, one outer jacket. Well, down here, I might have three sets of, of lighter clothing because I'm going to get sweaty. I'm going to get hot. I'm going to get wet. Like there's just a lot more that happens down here to your clothing where it's like this, this, uh, this outfit is not, is not suitable for hunting again tomorrow. I need to, I need to wash it up or dry yeah. it out or whatever the case may be. Does the South, because I can only speak from experience here. If I if I'm wearing anything fleece, anything to walk into the woods, and usually it's the first you get you get into a field edge, and it's the first ten or twenty yards of the of that field edge to open timber transition. There's multiflower rows. There's uh, cockaburs. There's uh, thorns. You name it. It's going to stick to your your fleece. Does does the South have those same types of uh, annoyance uh, plants that stick to your clothes like the North does? 
Yeah, and I will say that I think we have fewer of those that really want to get into your clothing and stay there. Um, like you the know, beggar's lice? Yeah, like beggar's lice. Like stuff that legit last year, I threw away a wool base layer last year yeah. because that had so many beggar's lice in it. I was like, there's, I don't have the time. Like right. my time is worth more than trying to pick all this out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have as many that stick with you like that. But we probably have more that are trying to literally saw your arm off yeah. whenever you walk through it, if that makes sense. A po- lot of pokies. A lot of pokies, a lot of, lot of green briar that you're going to get wrapped up in, uh, a lot of blackberry and you know wild raspberry bushes and that kind of stuff that you're going to get wrapped up in. So there's a lot here that's going to tear up your clothes, but not as much that wants to go with you. Right. Okay. Uh, the next thing I wanted to ask was the trees. You know, when I was down in Alabama, when I was living down in Alabama, trees were yep. just like they just grew straight up and down, right? Yeah. The, the pine stands that, that that I was in, even even if I found like a hardwood patch, they were it just seemed to be straight up and down. Here in the Midwest, and I'm sure on the the public that you were in gnarly trees, yep. low splits all over the place. Um, yep. Do you use a different climbing method or saddle platform tree stand combination between the north and the south yes now a lot of times down here in the south i will still use the old school summit climber okay now a lot of that has to do with where i'm hunting um you know i am hunting a good number of private places down here that i don't have to walk two miles on Mm -hmm. Uh, it also has to do with how high i can get because, you know, in Wisconsin, I'm hunting trees with a, uh, well, I don't know what that would be, like a 65 or 75 degree lean to them or something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of lean to the tree and, you know, scrubby and brushy and that kind of thing. Well, here I've got pines and, you know, between the 10 foot elevation marker, which is where like a lot of the under understory cuts out to 25 to 30 feet, there's nothing there. So if you're inside of that 10 feet to 25 feet window, you're going to get busted super, super easy. So I can't carry in 12 sticks, right, to try to get all the way up there. So I need to bring in a climber so I can get the height uh, to get To get a, a, above that that cover, that canopy. Yeah, to get to get above the canopy, to give myself a good shot, but also to get out of the deer's point of view. I mean, yeah. I, I find it's not quite this way in Wisconsin. I know some other states are like this, but – down in the south man the deer just look up like they're just they're so attuned to people being in trees that um it's not a safe bet just because you're off the ground yeah and also i would assume that like are you is this permission piece or are you part of a hunt club down south or a lease like multiple person lease yeah man i do it all so i've got uh, we've got family land down here, um, which is, you know, kind of one of those primo spots set up just like we want to. Um, then I've got a 2,000 acre lease that I'm part of with a bunch of other guys. And then we've got a 30,000 acre piece of public right down the road. Okay. So I kind of span the gamut, owned land, leased land. Uh, I do have a, a one or two permission spots down here that are kind of in the middle of that owned and leased, you know. Uh, as far as, you know, what I can do on them. And then I have the public. Okay. Okay. So, um, with that said, then you have the ability, like some of the properties that I, I have to go in there, preset everything, make it as comfortable as you want it, get every, like 
The hooks are already in, so the only thing you need to do is clip up your bow, climb up into your tree stand, pull it up, and sit down, right? Like, you can be prepared. And so, um, are there any differences in, in gear for the that you that you use and obviously that's probably the biggest disparity is mobile versus preset um in in gear as far as not necessarily your bow but your climbing sticks and things like that Uh, are there products is it like what products are different there versus you know your public land versus your preset stuff yeah, our, man, our preset stuff, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be running a lot of, um, you know, a lot of times what we'll do, we'll take a summit climber and just leave it at the base of a tree, mm-hmm. you know, at a place where it's real nice and brushed in and that kind of thing. So those those will stay there. Um, we will use Millennium hang-on stands quite a bit. Uh, they are the the lawn chair of, Dude, of stands. And I said this to somebody else. I said it to somebody else. I'm like, dude, I love running and gunning, but... There's something about sitting in a really comfortable tree stand in in the rut, knowing deer are going to come through a, a like a a, a a historic pinch point or funnel or something like that, and just sitting there, just laid back and feeling good, man. Like I feel like I want to. I think they're, they're called the monsters, the Millennium yeah. Monsters. It's just like it's like my office table up there on the platform with uh, just like a, a, a lawn chair, like one of those leaning back lawn chairs and you can just get right. as comfortable. Like I, I'm all about the mobile, the running gun, the saddle, the, you know, the lone wolf style hang ons, but they're like, I'm getting to the age now where those millenniums lo- are looking really good. Yeah, man. The day that I buy a piece that belongs to me solely, mm-hmm. I'm going to cover that thing in millennium tree stands and go. I will I will never go back to now. I, I like mobile. I still hunt mobile on uh, on our lease because okay. I don't know what you guys are doing. I have to treat that like public. It's actually probably more pressured than the public down the road. Yeah. Um, it just so many guys are, are in there consistently. But we'll use we'll use a lot of ladder stands. And actually, man, one of my personal favorites has become the Millennium tripod stands. Have you seen those? So it's a tripod stand with a Millennium a big relaxing seat on top right at the top for dude, for like rifle hunting or bow hunting oh yeah well and that that's another thing too so down here rifle season started in in georgia in october too many christmas and our our rifle season will run through january okay in um alabama rifle season just kicked off or is kicking off this weekend and will run through february gotcha so that's a huge gear difference too man pretty quick i'm gonna be swapping out the bow for gun hunting yep and i'll still bring the bow out on occasion but it's dude it's it's really difficult when you're on a lease or when you're on family land to explain why i need help tracking a deer when they're like why don't you just bring your 30 out six yeah like i don't want to help you track a deer you can shoot them you can shoot them at 30 with your 30 out six and then they don't need they just die right there yeah and they just fall over so why are we doing this yeah so uh yeah man so i'm gonna i'm gonna break out the gun pretty quick and it'll it'll be out for the rest of the year most likely unless i hit up some public in which case i have to break the bow back out yeah for sure um any other any other products that have kind of popped into your head that you want to talk about over the last handful of weeks yeah man i mean there are some that i'm that are huge for me in um in wisconsin that i'm not using a lot down here number one's the hand muff you know like 
you get like one of those muffs that goes around your waist. Yep. Love having one of those. Hand warmers obviously go go hand in hand with that. Um, there's one that I I would really like to try for hunting up north though. I just need to talk to a couple of people that are doing it, and that's the the heated base layers. Oh, like yeah. Battery powered. Yep. I've not tried those yet. But honestly, it seems like it could be really good whether you're hunting north or south because you could go in so light yeah. wearing, you know, almost nothing and then throw your jacket on, turn that on, and you're good to go. You don't exactly. have work you can produce. Yeah. I've done that. So I've, okay. I've, I had a heated vest on, but for some reason, I found it to be a bit complicated. And it's, really? it's like another piece that you get to the truck, you know, you, you take it off on your walk in, you take it off on your walk out, but then you forget to like charge the battery on it. And then the next uh, thing, you know, it's just like, I have this thing and I'm not even using it the way it's supposed to be used. And right. so I don't know, like I see the fact, like being able to wear less layers in cold weather is a huge I guess you'd call it a turn on for me. I would love to to not feel so bulky uh, in you know winter type weather, but for some reason I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a dumbass. And that, <laughs> that's probably the reason. What I hear is we're discovering all kinds of ways that that me and you are just pretty dumb when it comes to hunting. Um, that, that's what that's what I'm picking up. From yeah, yeah. How did how did how do we even get it done? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Exactly. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how we even kill deer. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anything else, man? I I think that's really about it. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of differences. I think in setup, yeah, um, or the way that gear is used. But um, you know, for the most part, I have because of my style of hunting, and because it includes north to south travel, I have worked really hard to tailor my setup. Mm-hmm so that i can use it consistently across both if that makes right. sense yep you know if i was if i was just hunting one place only and then made the move um you know there might be some some bigger glaring differences but but for me man i've, I've worked hard to make it all work everywhere because i know i'm going to be hunting a little bit of everywhere every fall yeah yeah makes a lot of sense all right i got two products that i kind of want to end with and you can jump in uh, if yeah. this sparks any interest uh and well it's really it's really one product, but two different brands that I've Exodus trail cameras. All right. Uh, Specifically their cell cams. Well, two things about that company. One I've, I've had, I have a lot of cameras from, from them because in the past I used to work with them. Right. So they would send me uh, trail cameras worked pretty well. Uh, They work very well Uh, to the point where I'm from their first generation of their product. I'm using that camera still. It's not It's not a cell cam. It's a cam that I will go and I'll put out in the middle of the timber and I'll let it soak all year round, right, till the batteries are dead. And it's continuing to perform. Like, like I've only had one trail camera uh, of theirs that for some reason, I don't know if I needed to do an update to it or not, but... Uh, it, it would it would always every time I turned it on it would reset to taking one minute or one picture every one minute, and I, mm. I I couldn't reset it or set it back to default. So that's the only camera that I have of theirs that you know I've had issues with. But their cell cameras work; they're very easy to set up and they work very well. And um, like I 
I, I can trust them basically. The other, the other thing, the other company that I, um, as far as cell cams is that cutty link system. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I will say there's a, there's a bit of a learning curve that is it's steeper than other cell cameras that are out there, but connecting all of this and how to connect the daisy chains worth of cam- cameras is a little bit, I'm going to say it's going to be more difficult than a regular cell cam to set up. But the cool part is, is now I have cell cameras in areas that don't have cell coverage. Right. And so it kicks those pictures back to you uh, through that daisy chain effect. And um, I've, I've had to go into the settings and change it to my liking a couple times to make sure everything's working right. But the the idea behind it is really, really awesome. And I'm, I'm really liking that portion of it as well. Yeah, they've got, that's a pretty sweet system they've got dialed. And I've actually tried to talk my dad into um, getting those for our, for our family property yeah. because I'm like, dad, you could, you could literally just have one in your backyard because he plant the backyard is a food plot, right? Like yeah. he plant back end of our backyard. Um, I'm like, dude, just put your, make that the cell camera or the one that you go check and have the links, you know, from, I mean, we've got what, 40 acres, 35 acres, something like that on the home farm. So like, just have them all send into that one camera. We don't even have to step into the woods to go check cameras, but, um, I guess, I don't know. We like the golf cart ride too. Yeah. Yeah. Check all the cameras for the day. Now, now listen to this. This is one thing that I, I like, and I don't like about cell cams. All right. Ultimately this, what this episode did was it kind of turned into a BS session, but, but the thing about cell cams is I'm a hundred yards from two cell cams, right? And so I can see deer come through this pinch point while I'm in the tree stand. Right. And so do I say to myself, Hey, I should rattle now because of this. So, you know what I mean? I I have this information. Should I rattle now? And ultimately I did, I did some testing on it, right? I tested it on deer that I know I wasn't going to shoot. Okay. And so I got the trigger, looked at my, you know, I, I would just look at my camera and most of the time I was looking at my camera this year was because I, you know, I hit that buck and I wanted to see if he was still alive. So anytime I got a, you know, I got a confirmation that I had a picture, I went and checked it. And so I was getting pictures in real time of deer that were a hundred yards away from me. And so I tested it, got the picture rattled. Sure enough, deer came in within shooting range. Mm. And there was a part of me that, that felt a little icky. Yeah. Because would I have rattled if yeah. I didn't have that information? The answer is probably no. Right? right. And so I don't know, man. I, I, it didn't, it, it didn't really feel right. Yeah. To Dude. be honest with you. And I, I don't know what other, any other way to explain it. I follow a guy on Instagram, man, and he may listen to this and may hear me talking about it twice now this year. He has seen a buck on a cell camera snuck into a spot and shot said buck with with a rifle or with a uh, with a rifle with a rifle oh with a... so one of them i think the buck was just at the feeder 
and he caught a glimpse of it, goes in, shoots it with the rifle. The second one, he saw the buck with a doe. The doe was at the feeder. He goes in. The buck wasn't there, but he's like, that's cool. I'll still hunt. Ten minutes later, buck comes back through, like bucks do during the rut, mm-hmm. right? They, they find those areas, and they're just back and forth, back and forth. So that's two that he has killed now this year. And he went out specifically because he got the picture on the cell camera. Oh, yeah. And those, I feel like, are the same guys who are saying, no, no, we would never do that. Don't 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 worry about the slippery slope. Yeah, I don't know, man. But I, so it rubs me wrong, and I feel icky. Yeah. Um, I still use cell cameras. I'm not gonna stop using cell cameras. Yeah. Dude, when they're used like that, it, boy. it's just really tempting, right? I mean, it it, it's really tempting it to have that. I mean, in a way, it's like a video game cheat code, right? Yeah. You can put it. Hey, I'm not gonna get. Like it ta- I'm going to have 90% more power because I put in this code. Well, you have that, and now your eyes are literally everywhere at one time, right? And I, I get it. Trail cameras yeah. don't capture a 360 view of an entire area, or most don't, just a sliver. But right. if that sliver provided you with said information, man, it just, it just takes so much woodsmanship out of hunting it's because it's just and and you know uh you you start to hear these conversations about drones right Uh, a guy that we both know uh shot a deer and he he didn't he he couldn't he lost blood so instead of getting a dog to follow it he got a drone and the drone came in and turned on its thermal imagery and it was just picking out deer like and you could zoom in and you could tell how many points it had, how big it was, where it was going, what terrain system it like it was in and it sit there and follow it. And so he was able to get a confirmation that that buck did not die and it was it was actually chasing a doe, but he was telling me like I don't know how I feel about that because it's it, it mm-hmm. that technology is so good that you can turn it on and you can zoom in and you can identify deer from a drone. Right. So I don't know, man. I, I just, I would rather drones just be used for recovery. I, I I think that that is a really good use for them uh, to recover wounded or dead deer. But from a scouting standpoint, Oh man. Or, or, or like, Hey, should I hunt this stand tonight? Here's how I'll find out. You know, and, and, and more full yeah that's where i'm gonna hunt yeah Man, that's that's sketchy and dan i just gotta say one more piece of proof that i'm an idiot um i had a buck cross a terrain feature uh that when i was hunting last week he was about a hundred little over a hundred yards from me mm-hmm. it did not even cross my mind to rattle <laughs> it didn't oh. even <laughs> that buck may as well have been a hundred miles away yep. and i sat there twiddling my thumbs like oh boy i sure wish he'd come over here and uh it didn't even didn't even cross my I mind prob- he, i probably rattle too much to be honest with you that's my favorite my favorite thing to do is just right. crack the horns until i'm almost needing to take off a layer of clothes that's, oh my God. that's how hard i go at it johnson's workout routine exactly just rattle that's awesome well hey man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and bs with me for a while 
Um, man, still a lot of time to get out there and hunt. I'm, I'm looking forward to my, my late season adventures, and I know you got a, a lot of uh, time left in Georgia. So good yep. luck the rest of the uh, rest of the season, and uh, thanks for coming on today, man. Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me on, and good luck to you as well. 